Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is Ben Dyer. He's a judge with the Sixth Judicial Circuit. Thanks for joining me today, Ben. Thank you very much. Now, counties within a circuit now elect judges in county-specific districts, as well as circuit-wide judges. These are resident circuit judges for us lay people. Can you explain exactly what that means? Sure. The terminology is sort of arcane. And this all derives from the uh, days on the Illinois prairies. There weren't enough people living in any given community to justify having a judge dedicated to that community. So what happened was all communities in a region would pool resources, essentially, and they'd have one judge who would ride around in a circle, hence the name circuit. And then the lawyers would sort of go with the judge. So that was called riding the circuit. Abraham Lincoln did that in what was then, I believe, the eighth judicial circuit. And Champaign County was one of the stops for him on that circuit. But now we have judges who are elected circuit-wide and judges who are resident judges who are only elected in the county that they sit in. So in Champaign County, we have three circuit judges elected circuit-wide and three resident circuit judges. And that's the position to which I was appointed and the position for which I'm running to keep in 22. You are part of the circuit, which includes DeWitt, Douglas, Macon, Moultrie, and Piatt counties. Piatt County, we know a little bit around these areas, but what is the demographic of the other counties? I have to admit from Champaign County, I don't know much about them. It's sort of a funny circuit because Champaign County is far and away the largest county in the circuit. Population of this county, I believe, is just a little north of 200,000. And the next the largest county is Macon, which is about half the size of Champaign County but I believe has seen population decline over the last 15, 20 years, which is in contrast to our county. Beyond Macon County and Champaign County, we have a collection of four much smaller counties, which do not enjoy the diverse demography of Champaign County or Macon counties. Largely white, although they have growing Hispanic populations, but they're very small. All of those counties have populations at or under 20,000 people. And as a consequence, they have fewer resources to pour into the judiciary. And they have other problems that we don't have in this county. So what winds up happening is Macon and Champaign County will occasionally lend judges or or other resources to these smaller counties to make sure that the justice system can continue functioning there. Let's back up to how you were chosen. You were unanimously selected as the circuit judge by a bipartisan Illinois Supreme Court, so bipartisanship does happen, Justice Rita Garman described you as, quote, extremely well qualified. How does this work? Do you put your name on a list for consideration, or are you selected and then told how your colleagues chose you? How does that work? That's a good question, and you've started down the right answer, too. You do apply. You have to put your name on a list, and the way you do that is by applying directly to the Supreme Court and specifically to the Supreme Court Justice who sits in your district. So Supreme Court justices, there are seven in Illinois. The justice elected from our district presently is Rita Garman, although the legislature has just changed the map, which is another issue entirely. But what we do is you apply there and then Justice Garman will interview the judges where the vacancy is and determine what their needs are, who they're looking for, and who they've seen 
on the list who they might help her evaluate trial skills or courtroom advocacy skills, things like that, that would be mysterious to a Supreme Court judge, but known to a circuit judge or associate judge who had seen a lawyer practice. Then Justice Garman, and I think this is common in other parts of Illinois, will form a sort of citizen advisory committee that's composed of people from all over Champaign County and deliberately drawn from different groups. So we had people from the business community, healthcare community. We had a social worker. It's very common to have a psychiatrist. I know Dr. Larry Jekyll has been on the advisory committee sometimes. They'll separately interview all the candidates and evaluate them deliberately. That group is not composed of all lawyers. There are one or two lawyers on that group, but really it's an opportunity for the community to evaluate and give some input in the selection process. And then you interview as well with the Supreme Court justice. That's the process. And then once a recommendation is made, it's taken to the Supreme Court and they ratify the selection. So that's the process by which I was selected and then ultimately confirmed. Obviously, what you did before garnered all of this respect. So let's talk about what you did before. You were an assistant public defender for Champaign County, and you represented poor people accused of crimes and low-income parents struggling to regain custody of their children. You have two young children. Those are the heaviest cases you could think about. How did you leave that in the courtroom and go home, and how were you able to separate that? Two things. One, when you get home and you have two young children, the sort of immediacy and urgency of their needs jolts you out of the ability to sort of languish and self-pity or thinking about something difficult at work because you have to get dinner ready and diapers need to be changed and bedtime routines must be strictly adhered to or else there will be a rebellion. So you have to worry about these really immediate things. And I sort of find that to be comforting. And for me, Pure compartmentalization, I don't think would work. I think it's important to sort of chew on difficult issues and unpleasant topics. You know, when you're doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or just doing laundry, sometimes you get a a few moments of peace and it's important to think about important things. But, you know, it's hard to strike a balance of of not letting those things sort of stain uh, the rest of your life to the point that you won't enjoy it or or can't be a positive, cheerful member of your household. I think it's a difficult balance and probably depends, you know, it's very person specific, but that's sort of what works for me. I hear a lot of journalists ask judges, what's the most challenging caseload or what cases are the most challenging? But I want to ask a twist to that. From corporations, which you've also dealt with, to people struggling with addiction, which clients were the most mentally challenging for you? That question kind of goes to the heart of what it is lawyers do. And essentially, lawyers solve problems for people. And the questions are, what kind of problem are you solving and and who are you solving it for? So before I was at the public defender's office, I worked at a large law firm and did a lot of civil litigation, often commercial litigation. And in those cases, sometimes the problems are really, really intricate. But to your specific question, your client is often a purely rational actor someone who's very well educated, who has a very good ability to make risk assessments and kind of strategic decisions based on attorney guidance. So the attorney work, the lawyering work is often on the front end, figuring out the problem. And then once you've got that identified, you transmit it to your client as clearly as you can. And then they're off and running about making the best decision for them or their company. Working at the public defender's office offers a different kind of challenge because sometimes you wind up 
with very simple problems from a legal standpoint for very, very complicated people who, you know, they might have any number of mental health issues or substance abuse addictions or just years of social trauma. And in those cases, you figure out the legal issue pretty quickly, but you have to do a lot of work. And it's very humbling, I think, uh, to lawyers to realize you just have to make this person trust you. You can't do that immediately. You can't just say, hey, listen to me, I'm a lawyer. Those are not the most comforting words to hear, I think. You have to build trust with someone, help them see where you're coming from through a lens that makes sense to them. So working with really complicated people is difficult, but it can also be really beautiful because there are some really, really amazing people in our community who look terrible on paper, but truly they're really fundamentally decent and awesome to work with once you can sort of figure out what makes them tick. There are complicated people all over the world. And at some point, people drew you to go teach in Honduras. Was it English as a second language or were you teaching something else? I taught science to middle and high school students in a a little town in Juticalpa, Honduras. It's sort of like the Texas of Honduras, I guess is the best way to describe it. A lot of ranching and agriculture. The desire to do that after college, I had a very academic understanding of Spanish. I wanted to immerse myself in a community where I had to speak it as a matter of course. So when I went there, teaching is probably the noblest profession. So I wanted to try my hand at that. Also, I think I had a curiosity about what life would be like, you know, in a place that was really struggling with economic development. So those are some of the things and maybe just being in my 20s and full of curiosity, a desire to travel around and see weird things. So those are the forces that took me to Honduras. And the teaching was at a bilingual school. I taught in English, but most of school life, you know, parent-teacher conferences and the faculty meetings were in Spanish. Let's talk about teaching. And one of the things that you say in your bio is that your sister's an elementary school teacher, and she's one of your heroes, as are your parents. And I was trying to figure out, here's how your parents are listed, an environmental health scientist and a psychologist for justice-involved youth. Which parent does which of those jobs? I was trying to picture which one did which. My father was a scientist who worked for the EPA in Raleigh, North Carolina. And my mother worked for the juvenile court system in Wake County doing psychological evaluations on justice-involved youth. And she worked for other counties as well. So I grew up in a non-lawyer household, but you know, around people who were engaged with, I thought, important sort of civic or public issues, whether that's environmental health or mental health for young, troubled people. And then I found it very nice to have good models of civic involvement and sort of social stewardship in my household. And I think that ultimately sort of has led both my sister and I toward service-oriented professions. Why law for you, though? At what point in your life were you thinking, you know what, I want to go to law school? Honestly, I had no idea what lawyers did until I was well into my 20s. And it was working for Claire McCaskill in Missouri. I had worked on her campaign I think Claire is just tremendous. I really treasure her as a person. She's wonderful. And she is so skillful speaking in public and quick-witted and has all these amazing attributes. And she would frequently probably downplay her inherent gifts and talk up how much law and her training as a lawyer had helped her acquire some of these skills. I probably recognize now that many of those traits 
in Claire are probably innate. But it was working for her after the election in 2007 during the Farm Bill reauthorization. I was working in the Southeast Missouri for her and helping sort of connect farmers during the Farm Bill reauthorization in our district with people on staff in Washington who were working on the Farm Bill to help make sure that the bill contained provisions that were needed for farmers in the community or to help explain to them what the effect of the provisions might be. I was kind of the switchboard operator, just locating the problem and routing it to the right person in DC, which was great fun. And I met a lot of really cool people. But I think over time, I became envious of the people solving the problems and giving the advice because I really like tricky problems and puzzles. And it seemed to me that a lot of the creative input for solving difficult problems was in law. So I think that and curiosity about what it was, because it was sort of mysterious to me, were sort of exciting and lured me down the path of law to answer your question. Claire McCaskill, I'm glad you brought her up because she's one of my heroes. I think anytime that I see her speak, she is deliberate, she has empathy, and she seems sincere, and obviously she seems really bright. So it's always reassuring to hear somebody who's as on the inside as you were, that they are genuinely good people in it for the right reasons. Yes, you have correctly apprehended Claire. She's a wonderful person. She's incredibly talented. And for me anyway, she's been a great mentor and role model. So yes, you have described Claire, and and I think she's worthy of admiration, certainly. Let's talk about your downtime, huh? You have two young kids, you're a judge, you're active, you're campaigning. When you are not doing all of those things, including running, I saw you're a runner, what do you do? Here's where you come in, Elizabeth, because I think podcasts are like the greatest invention of the last 20 years, because it can help make chores into hobbies, because... After a long, stressful day, it really feels good to put in earbuds and put on a podcast and do laundry or do the dishes because you get to engage with something you're interested in. And then at the end of it, all your dishes are done or your laundry is folded or something like that. So I guess I listen to podcasts and do a lot of children's laundry and dishes. (laughs) Are you like true crime guy or are you politics or what do you like to listen to when you are tuning in? I listen to lots of things. I like the daily from New York Times. I listen to a certain podcast that you may know well. And I listen to political things. I like some of the true crime podcasts, but my pattern is to sort of go down rabbit holes. So I wouldn't call myself a religious listener in any one topic, but I'll get really interested in one particular thing. Or for example, I think Maggie Haberman is like a national treasure. I went through like a podcast binge where I think I've listened to every minute of every interview she's given in the last three years. Because she's just so insightful and wonderful to listen to. Agreed. Judge Dyer, I have one question in every interview. I have to ask, why are judges such a political thing? Why are there so many Republican judges in this area, in the country? And how do you not decide based on the law? How do you separate your political beliefs with how you decide or hand down a decision? That is one of the most important questions for the legal profession. And I'd like to point out that Illinois is really in the minority of states that has partisan judicial elections. My personal belief is even as a progressive Democrat, that's not a good idea. And by way of illustration, if judges were purely partisan actors, then our courts would look like a Senate impeachment trial. We don't want that. 
And really what you want in a judiciary is a fiercely independent group of people who will apply the law fairly as it's written and not take power away from the legislature or the executive branch. It's not our job to rewrite the laws the way we would have enacted them if we had been elected in that way. And if you value our system of government, you you really don't want to politicize judiciary. So this is the system we have in Illinois, and I'm very comfortable in the Democratic Party. It is difficult because you spend so much of your time at your job rooting out bias and trying to think about, am I just kind of leaning in this direction because that sort of rhymes with what I would think about this issue? Or am I really arriving there through a legal process that has integrity? I strive for the second process. But to go from that sort of thing where you're trying to root out bias and sort of control for your own beliefs and be launched in the political arena, it's a little bit jarring. Fortunately, I feel a little bit protected by the Code of Judicial Conduct. Illinois judicial candidates cannot make campaign promises other than to apply the law fairly and correctly. And of course, we can offer our worldviews and our life experiences But truthfully, those don't really have any place once you're wearing a robe. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Judge Ben Dyer, thank you so much for your time today. Elizabeth, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 